the Christian Circle podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Hello, I'm Charles Johnston. I am a uh, Catholic convert, a writer, blogger, and I guess now public speaker. <laughs> uh, I've been Catholic for a few years now and uh, my website is nowthatimcatholic.com and I recently published my first book called The Beauty of the Mass, Exploring the Central Act of Catholic Worship. And it's uh, kind of an exploratory look at the Mass. Okay, and this book, we're actually giving out uh, a copy of this book for our May anniversary. And somehow we've not had any people sign up for our uh, giveaway. So this giveaway is going to be on Charles' website. It's going to be on my website. And if you want a free copy of Charles' book, you can uh, sign up for our giveaway. It's a raffle draw, and uh, one lucky person is going to get uh, a ton of books from Charles and a host of other Catholic authors and Christian authors. Um, so what are we talking about today, Charles? Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Stations of the Cross. Okay. And very traditional uh, Lenten devotion. Yeah. It's also called the Via Dolorosa, isn't it? The Via Dolorosa, yeah. 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 That's actually the name of the, uh, the street in Jerusalem okay. that uh, the actual stations took place on. It means the way of sorrow. Dolorosa okay. means sorrow. Okay. In Latin. Okay. And this devotion was started, uh, basically, uh, it started with the Franciscan Fathers, has it not? Yeah, actually, uh, there's evidence that in the earliest days of Christendom, before before Constantine issued the Edict of Milan, so back when Jerusalem was under Roman occupation still, uh, Christian pilgrims would kind of mark the location that wasn't the same, because right now we have 14 stations, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Back then, they had uh, they would start at the Antonia Fortress. Sometimes they start at the gate uh, where Jesus would have been brought in from Pilate's uh, not Pilate's house, Caiaphas's house, mm -hmm. and they'd start at the gate there by kind of where he got judged by Pilate, and then walk towards uh, Calvary where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is now. They'd actually start at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I got it backwards, and they'd go backwards okay. towards Pilate's house, and there was like five or six stops, and Saint Jerome actually wrote about it. That there was people while he was there translating the Vulgate, in uh, because it came from under, it was kind of an underground practice before Christianity was legalized in 315 or 313, and Saint Jerome was there in the early fifth century and he wrote mm -hmm. about it. There was Christian pilgrims kind of doing this out on the street, you know, okay. Okay. and then uh, yeah, the Franciscans when they came, they really kind of took it and they made it go viral, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> So they've taken this and they started using this in Italy and all these other churches. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to let people know, how do you identify a church as Catholic? Every Catholic church has the Stations of the Cross pasted on the wall or in some form or the other, which yeah. identifies as a Catholic. Um, so what are these stations one by one uh, of the cross, um, all the 14, if you can, if you can tell them? Can I run through them? Yeah, run through them. Uh, the traditional ones would be, uh, the first station would be Jesus was condemned to death. So this would be at, like, uh, the Praetorium where Pilate sat in judgment, you know, where Pilate washed his hands and, uh, tried getting out of condemning Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, and a lot of people kind of feel sympathetic for Pilate. I used to always feel kind of sympathetic. Yeah, me too. Him, but yeah. <laughs> he, but he knew this man that was standing before him was innocent. Mm. And to hold on to power, 
because the Jews basically, the, the Caiaphas and Annas, had threatened, basically threatened them, kind of blackmail that we'll, we'll revolt, and then you'll be no friend of Rome, you know, because they knew yeah. he was kind of on a short leash because there had been kind of trouble there over the last few years. And he knew he was on kind of a short leash by, the, by Caesar. So when they threatened to kind of have a little bit of public insurrection, he would rather put an innocent man to death, mm. who he knew 100% done nothing wrong, yeah. rather than risk losing power. Yeah. You know, so that's a pretty big act of cowardice. Mm. <laughs> if you ask me, and I used to be sympathetic towards Pilate, but then I, I seen him in a new light, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's the first station. And then the second station is Jesus is given his cross, mm. is where he's handed the cross, and this really recalls uh, the sacrifice of Isaac uh, yeah. when Abraham took Isaac up the mountain, because normally the animal that's to be sacrificed doesn't carry its own means of mm. sacrifice. So when Isaac carried the wood up the mountain, that would be kind of off, you know, off book. That wouldn't have been yeah. a normal way to do things. You don't make the lamb carry its own wood. Yeah. And so Isaac carried the wood up the mountain Moriah, which would have been the same mountain here that Jesus is climbing to be killed. It was all mm. the same, mm. all the same mountain. And so Jesus is given his cross. The, the third station is Jesus falls for the first time. Mm. He falls under the weight of the cross yeah. and uh, gets back up, you know, because by this point he's been beaten half to death. Yeah. Because Pilate tried, before Pilate gave up to have him killed, he tried to have him just scourge. And scourging was a pretty serious, lots of people would die days later from scourging, from yeah. loss of blood and stuff. Yeah. So Jesus falls the first time, and then the fourth station is Jesus meets his mother. Yeah. And uh, this, for me, was, uh, I watched... Uh, the Passion. I watched the, the Passion, yeah, yeah, last year, and I hadn't seen it in a few. It had been a few years since I seen it. Yeah. And I watched it with my wife and my daughter, who was eight at the time. Mm. And she cried. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was like she was old enough, basically. And she cried really bad the whole movie, mm. and uh, she actually had to get up and leave before we even got to this point. Okay. And when Jesus fell, and Mary, you know, the Blessed Mother, looks at them, mm. and she sees him, but she sees a toddler Jesus. You know, yeah. like she sees this is this is her baby, this yeah. is her child, and it it struck me the first time I seen the movie. I was like sixteen years old, mm. and it struck me then a sad moment. You know, everyone's yeah. got a mother, yeah, so everyone can relate with that. But now as a parent, yeah, that that one it's scene different. hit me so hard, like a ton of bricks. I started crying harder than my daughter, <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't cry during movies at all. Yeah. So this was a rarity for me, but mm. it was just. I, I identified with Mary in a way there that I'd never identified with her before, mm -hmm. you know, even though I'm not a mother, yeah. I'm a parent, and, yeah. and I thought of my kids and fallen at, you know, at a tender age, yeah. and here she is, because she was told by the prophet when they presented Jesus in the temple, uh, when Jesus was eight days old, they presented him in the temple, and the uh, prophet held Jesus, the prophet, mm -hmm. and said, Simeon. And yes. he said, a sword too will pierce your heart. And this yeah. was the sword piercing Mary's heart. Yeah. Was watching her baby walk up yeah. to his own execution. And he's innocent. Uh, and then... Uh, That's the thing. She he's knows. Yeah, yeah. He's nothing wrong. Yeah. Because basically what they get him on, they that's why they kind of shuffle him back and forth between Herod and Pilate. Mm. Jesus had done nothing wrong as so they were trying to find a way to kill him. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And what Caiaphas finally settled on, because they had a bunch of different... They had people testifying against them, but in a Jewish court, the testimonies have to match any court. Mm. But it has to be at least two testimonies. For someone to be sentenced to death, there has to be two matching testimonies. Yeah. 
and everyone was saying like he done this and he done that like Monty Python. He turned me into a newt. Yeah. You know, they were accusing him of all kinds of stuff, and nothing was matching until two people said that he said he was going to destroy the temple because Jesus had said destroy mm. this temple. He didn't say he was going to destroy Solomon's temple or Herod's yeah. temple. He said destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the temple he was talking about was his own body, what it says yeah. in John. But he said they said basically destroy the temple, and that was where that's what they got him on. That was kind okay. of the charge they brought him up on. Okay. And then that's why Pilate said, well, what is that to us? We're the Romans. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What was that going to do with me? I don't care if he destroys your temple. <laughs> and they said, well, if he's no friend to us, he's no friend to Caesar. And basically they, they turned, they used that yeah. against him. They used that Pilate's insecurity about yeah. being stripped of his power. You know? Uh, and then, what was that? The fourth station we were talking yeah. about, right? So the fifth, fifth station, station is uh, Simon of Cyrene carries the cross. And uh, this was another powerful moment in passion, you know, where the, the man's standing with his daughter. Yeah. And he, he wanted to make sure that the soldiers knew. He kept saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. Yeah. <laughs> because he was scared basically of getting to the top of the hill and then crucify the wrong person, mm. which probably could happen pretty easily. But what really, he's protesting his innocence. Mm. But Jesus never did open his mouth. Yeah. You know, it says in Isaiah 53 that like a lamb led to the slaughter. He went quietly and he opened out his mouth. Yeah. So here's his man, Simon the Cyrene, who might have been, a, you know, he's usually depicted as somewhat of a righteous person. He yeah. helped Jesus up the mountain with his cross, but he was a sinner. And we're yeah. all sinners. Yeah. And he's protesting his innocence. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, the only person, you know, that has never sinned, mm. you know, Jesus, like us in all ways but sin, yeah. the perfect, he isn't protesting his innocence. You know, so I thought that was a real stark contrast yeah. there between Simon and Jesus. And then the sixth station is Veronica wipes the face of Jesus. Mm. And uh, this one uh, this one was also in the Passion. Yeah. The comes up and she wipes his face. And uh, that name, Veronica, means true image. Mm. You know, Ver Veritas and Ikonos means yeah. true image. And then she wiped his face just just as a uh, an act of, you know, kindness. Toward Jesus, because yeah. he would have been all—he would have been—he would have been a mess. Yeah. I mean, the way we see a crucifixion nowadays, you know, I've got a crucifix on my neck right now. Yeah. And even images and paintings, it's sanitized. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> the worst crucifixion you've ever seen is a sanitized version of. I went uh, in Jerusalem. There's a hotel in Jerusalem called the Notre Dame Center, mm. and uh, it used to be a convent, and now it's run. It's actually owned by the Vatican, and uh, it's got a chapel inside it. It's a beautiful hotel. It's right across from the old city. And they have, attached to it, they have a uh, Shroud of Turin Center. Mm. And so you can go in, and it's the whole history of the Shroud of Turin. And when you get to the very end of it, and the priest that took us through it, Father Kelly, he's from Ireland, he kind of does like a, a devil's advocate type thing, like he where he lays out the case against the Shroud, as you're looking at all the evidence mm -hmm. for it. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he takes you through it. It takes about an hour. And when he gets to the end, he shows you, and they take, they took the shroud, and they made a 3D image of a body, of what the body would have looked like that was mm. wrapped in the shroud. Mm. And the wounds is just, from literally the soles of his feet to the top of his head, is just okay. covered in lacerations and punctures, mm. and scuffs, and just terrible. And here's this man laying with this peaceful look on his face, you yeah, know, and yeah. it's it's Jesus' body. And then he tells you, you know, at the end, like, now make up your mind. Do you think it is the real, this is really sure out, or it isn't? You know, mm. He doesn't kind of lead you to uh, a conclusion <laughs> one way or the other, but he presents all the evidence. I really love the way he done it. And just looking at this body, and it's a bloody pulp. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like this person 
was beat to death, basically. Like, yeah. If it wasn't for the crucifixion kill, he'd have died just from the beating. Yeah. It's kind of miraculous that he just he made it up the mountain. I know. So that was that was uh, Veronica wiped his face. So right after that is the seventh station. Jesus falls for the second time. Mm. And like I said, I mean, think of this person that's been beat. Yeah. Literally, you know, and just chunks of flesh. They flayed him with the uh, had a, a certain kind of whip called the cat of yeah. nine tails, mm. and it had pieces of metal and bone at the end of it. And when they would hit you with it, stick into your skin, they pull them, pull chunks of flesh off. Like this isn't even just like in the Navy kind of whippings from yeah. the 1800s. You know, this was, this was, do, this would do damage, like mm. stuff you wouldn't recover from. And, uh, so I really, when you think about the beating he took and you think about how, how much blood he would have lost by this yeah. point, you know, it really is miraculous that he's made it this far. Yeah. And now he isn't even carrying the cross. He's just walking. Yeah. But it's still, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's, you know, it's a, a good enough grade from at the Antonio Fortress to where Calvary would be. It's mm. uphill all the way. It's up a mountain. Yeah. And they're just walking up this hill that I was kind of out of breath, not being beat, mm. you know, not carrying a cross. <laughs> and here's Jesus doing all this. And like you said, he's done nothing wrong. Yeah. This is all yeah. for our benefit. You know, yeah. This isn't for himself he's doing this. Yeah. Uh, and then Jesus meets the daughters of Jerusalem. Mm. And this one, this one really stands out to me, too, because he looks at the women and he says, oh, you know, oh, women of Jerusalem, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't know, yeah. I don't know what the exact scripture it is. But he looks at the, uh, the women of Jerusalem and he says, no, weep not for me, but weep for your own children. Yeah. And if you think about it, if these women are all there and these women are, you know, imagine these women's like 30 or 40 years old, they'd have children that were young enough, you know, like yeah. little kids standing at their feet. And he says, weep not for me, but weep for your own children. Right? Yeah. Jesus died, this is 30 AD, and 70 AD, so mm. 40 years later, all these young children that this, these women would have had would have been around fighting age men. Yeah. And they would have been slaughtered by General Titus when he came to the city and just laid them to waste, killed mm -hmm. everyone in the city. Mm -hmm. So that's Jesus is talking about their children. Like, don't weep for me. Mm -hmm. Weep for your own children because... Jesus, when he looked at them, when he was doing the Olivet Discourse, he looked at the city of Jerusalem and said, you know, I wish to gather you in like a hand under my wings, but mm. the time is coming where not one stone will stand on top of another, yeah. because you knew not the time of your visitation. Because they rejected them, yeah. the whole temple is going to be destroyed, the whole city is going to be destroyed. And so that's what Jesus was saying to the women of Jerusalem. And generation and after generation has suffered, whether it's been, uh, whether oh, yeah. in the same country or in different countries, it's like they have, they have suffered and suffered and suffered. I feel like it's really a, like a, an attack of the devil on them, you know? Yeah. Because no matter where they go and what they do, it's like they're always, there's somebody always attempting to wipe out the Jews. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look throughout history. I know, yeah. And whether from, you know, Egypt to Haman in yeah. Persia, they just celebrated Purim, Purim a couple days ago. Egypt, you got the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians. Uh, then the Greeks came through, and Antioch Epiphanes, he tried mm. doing it. Mm. Uh, you have the Romans, General Titus, then you have all the way, you know, all the way up until Hitler. There's always <laughs> someone trying to kill the Jews. Yeah. And it's really, you know, it's terrible, but it's, I really feel like it is a spiritual warfare type thing. Mm. There's, mm. there's a reason that <laughs> yeah. you know, the devil is doing this. Like this is, I don't think it would be possible for just by human nature someone took it up their back that bad to try to kill one certain group of people, mm, mm, you know? Yeah. 
Like, just think about how they've been targeted by everyone. Everywhere they go, they're targeted by these people, by all, all different types of people in all different generations. Like you said, yeah. they're targeted. So, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, so where were we? Ninth, Ninth station. station. Jesus falls the third time. Mm. So Jesus falls one more time. And, uh, you know, just imagine falling on cobblestone streets, first off, will be extremely painful. Yeah. You know? And then imagine you've been how beaten and bruised you are, and now you're falling to your knees. Just, just the pain of that, just that alone, and then having to get back up and not get back up. Okay, now we're gonna take you to home. Yeah. You know, you're getting back up to continue on to where you're going to be killed yeah. in a way that's so painful that we have a word excruciating means to be crucified. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's how painful a crucifixion yeah. is. Yeah. So he's he's down, and it's not like get up and I'll take you for an ice cream cone and we can go home. Mm. It's get up until we continue on this death march and we put you out of your misery. But before that, you're going to hang on a cross in, in excruciating pain mm. for three hours. Yeah. You know, so there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel at this point. Yeah. And uh, I think it's the early afternoon when this starts, right? When he starts making yeah. his journey all well, the way. Started, yeah, I think they started, I want to say it was around 9 a.m. when mm. he was sentenced to death. And... Or when he started getting scourged and stuff, but yeah, it was like a two or three hour long process getting up mm. to Calvary. Yeah, I can't remember the exact time. I have to look that up. But there was, uh, yeah, it was around 9 a.m. that they started the march up towards Calvary, mm. and then it was 12 when he was nailed to the cross. Yeah. Traditionally, this is. Yeah. It was 12. He was nailed to the cross, and then it was, uh, I believe, it was three o'clock when he died. Yeah. I agree. His last word did be in John. Right, let me see. Yeah, because I think be before the sun sets, they wanted to bury him uh, at that oh, hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they took him down before the sun set because yeah. it was uh, because it was the next day. Because it was Friday, he was yes. crucified on Friday. Yes. And the next day was was uh, the Sabbath. Not just a yeah, not just a Sabbath though, but it was a Sabbath during Passover. Passover, yeah. Yeah. So the next day, uh, he had to come down from the cross. They couldn't leave him up overnight. Because normally they would just leave, leave the bodies up overnight on the cross. Yeah. And, kind of, and then we'd take them down and just throw them to the dogs. And the yeah. dogs would eat them outside the city. So that, was, that was the way they usually treated the bodies. So for Jesus to be took down and to be given a proper burial was rare. Yeah. Because generally people that were crucified were criminals and the Romans wouldn't let them have their bodies back. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like an extra punishment mm. that your family doesn't even get to give you a proper burial. Yeah. And then, uh, so the tenth station, Jesus is stripped of his garments. Mm. And now, if you go, uh, if you go to Jerusalem, you go to the uh, uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre. There's a staircase on the outside of it, and it goes up to Calvary. Because the way you get to where the site of the crucifixion is, you go inside the church. There's a stairway that ups inside the church. Mm -hmm. But on the outside of the church, if you ever see the, a picture of it. There's a stairway on the outside, and there's like a little cupola, kind of like a, a small chapel kind of coming mm -hmm. off the side. And that's where Jesus was stripped of his clothing. Okay. That would have been a hillside, okay. you know, when they were there, just to give people kind of a visual of it. Mm -hmm. And then the 11th station, so they stripped Jesus of his garments. Ah, uh, that is 10. Yeah. They stripped Jesus of his garments, and they gambled for his clothes. Well, you know, that's yeah. a, a fulfillment of Psalms 22, mm. where, you know, the psalm that he actually quotes, from the cross, my God, my yeah. God, why have you forsaken me? Is a quote from Psalm 22, and in that it says they, they take my clothes and they divide them amongst them and they gamble yes. for my clothes. 
and uh, also they take his he had a seamless garment on underneath it, mm. which would have been like a priestly a priestly vestment. Yeah. And they took that off him, and they didn't. They gambled. They divided his clothes. They gambled for that to cast lots to see who'll get that because it was too valuable to break up. Yeah. You know to cut into pieces. So that was station number ten, and then station eleven, Jesus is nailed to the cross, and just and I think of these wouldn't have been modern day very pointy you know galvanized nails that go into wood really easy. Yeah. You know. The crude these ones. Big heavy iron spikes that weren't very sharp at the end. Mm. So it would take a lot of force. Like, have you ever seen, like, a railroad spike? It kind of comes like a chiseled point. Mm, but okay. it's not really sharp, you know? Yeah, yeah. It takes a lot of force to drive it through wood. And so just imagine that going through his hand. It would have it it been, like I said, excruciating. I can't yeah. imagine what the name yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> feel that. Uh, the 12th station, Jesus dies on the cross. Mm. And usually when you're doing stations of the cross, you're going through the church. Mm. At this point, usually everyone kneels. Yeah. And stops. A moment of silence. Yeah. Yeah. The candles are blown out. Kind of a moment of silence. And then there's the 13th station. This is where Joseph of Arimathea went and got permission from Pilate to take down his body because it was preparation day for the Sabbath. And uh, they took down his body and they anointed it and prepared it for burial. And then the final station is Jesus is laid in the tomb. Okay. Now, all of these stations are basically. Um they're kind of reflective of, of life in general. And, you know, whether it's um, falling down and picking yourself up um, or, you know, meeting your mother, um, being stripped of your garments. So all of this is abstract in a way uh, of life. So why do we do them and what do we learn from them? I don't really consider the, the, uh, the abstract of life part. That's really deep. <laughs> never really thought of that one before. But... Uh, I mean, the reason that I, I, the reason I've always thought of for doing the uh, stations across was just to really, because you think about Jesus being crucified and that Jesus died for your sins, like okay, and Jesus was crucified, and you think about that for just, you know, it's kind of a passing thing. But when you do the stations of the cross, it takes, you know, 20 to 40 minutes to actually do yeah. each station, and then, uh, you know, usually a lot of the churches I've been to that do them they'll read kind of like Jesus falls for the first time. Mm. Uh, and then the, the leader will say, we praise you, O Christ. We adore you, O Christ, and we praise you because yeah. by your holy cross you offered the world. Yeah. And then there's usually like a short reflection read. Mm. And then uh, they sing a song. Yeah. You know, a short, not a long song, but just kind of a song. And so they do that at each station. Yeah. And at the 12th station, like I said, everyone kneels. There's a moment of silence. So it takes a good 30, 40 minutes to do the station of the cross. So you're reflecting on the, the passion and death of Jesus mm. and what it means to you. Yeah, you know, that's true. Yeah. For thirty for thirty to forty minutes. So it's a lot longer than like you know, like like I said, people say like, Oh, Jesus died for your sins and you think about it for a minute and then you continue on with your life. Yeah. You know? But by doing the station of the cross, you're forcing yourself to take that, that time. It takes at least thirty minutes. Yeah. To really focus on the pain and the sorrow and the anguish and the just the all of the human because Jesus, you know, fully God, fully man. He's not mm. half God, half man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he is one hundred percent man with all that comes attached to that, all the temptations, all the, the uh, you know, the distractions that are possible that he just puts out of his mind, you know, all these different things. Yeah. And he has a fully human will too, united with his divine nature and mm. divine will, mm. all in one person. So 
Jesus is fully man, so he's experiencing this. It isn't just like, you know, because it's easy to think of it like a god, like a Greek god, you know, like where they don't <laughs> yeah. really feel pain. Like yeah. you can shoot them and it doesn't, they don't bleed. No, Jesus is really, truly human. Mm. And he is suffering. And he's going through not just the physical pain, but the emotional pain. Imagine thinking like all of your friends left. Only John, his mother, uh, John's mother, and uh, Mary Magdalene. Yeah. They're the only people there with him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Everyone else is gone. So the abandonment of all your friends, everyone's left you. The betrayal that yeah. one of your closest friends was the one who... And even right up to the very end, Jesus looks at Judas and he says, friend. He calls him friend. Mm. You betray the Son of Man with a kiss. You know, he was giving him an out right there at the end. Yeah. Like, you don't, you, Judas, you're not a robot. You're not pre-programmed. Mm. Like this isn't, you aren't fated to do this. You're choosing to do this. Mm. You know? And, and just all that. And so you take, that's what I think is the most valuable thing about the Station of the Cross is you take the 30 to 40 minutes it takes to do it and you really think about all that and you really reflect on it and you really kind of dive deep into the passion of Christ. So you've almost explained how to um, how to pray them, and um, I know that in a number of uh, a number of people that I've met have actually been doing stations of the cross outside of Lent for you know piety or for praying for holy oh. priests or offering up one intention right. with it. So um, what do you suggest people should do when when they're praying their own stations of the cross, whether alone or with the church? Right. Yeah, I've actually got. Uh I can't remember where it was. A priest gave me to do the Station of the Cross as a penance <laughs> one time. Wow, and that's long. Like, yeah, it wasn't Lent, and it wasn't even a Friday. Okay. And, and I was like, okay. And so I went, and I wasn't really sure exactly how, because it, you know, usually when you're dealing with a group, they have the little booklets. Yeah. And but and I was just winging it, <laughs> totally winging it. So I went around the church, and I would just stop in front of each, you know, because to be the Station of the Cross, it has to be a cross. Yeah. All it really requires is a cross. And, and it can be just a cross, 14 crosses around the sanctuary. Yeah. Or usually it has a number, and a lot of times it'll have kind of a little scene mm. depicting what's happening. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this particular church I was in, the scenes were kind of, I don't know what you say, abstract. <laughs> it was like Jesus, and then in front of it was kind of like a uh, like a different, like an artist's take on what's going on. Okay. So I didn't know where I was. <laughs> you know, so I'm walking around, and I'm like, I think this is number five because there was no numbers. And I prayed that we adore you, Christ, and we praise you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Yeah. I believe this is the fifth station, Lord, and if it is, I think this is where you fell. Mm -hmm. So I completely, I butchered it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy doing the stations of the cross. Even, you don't even have to do them in a church. Mm, you can yes, do them yes. at home. Yeah. You know, you can just pray them at home. And, uh, you know, there's an indulgence attached to it, doing it at a church, moving from station to station. Mm. But, you know, apart from the indulgence, it's really not any less beneficial to do it at home. You can just get a little booklet or the Laudate app uh, has yes, yes. stations across. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can read each reflection on each spot. Mm. And you can read, you know, the little prayer that goes with it. And, and after each, I like to read the prayer, read the kind of reflection, and then stop and just kind of, Meditate, I guess you would say. Mm. I don't really say that word very often. So <laughs> I've seen Father Leo paddling like yesterday, and he said that he was going to meditate, and that's really a code, Catholic code for taking a nap. So <laughs> he said he was going to pray to Our Lady of the Pillows. Okay. But uh, so, yeah, I guess you meditate. Uh, you know, you read the little prayer, read the 
uh, reflection. reflection. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of think about, yeah, kind of just close your eyes and think about that particular station and what would have been going through Jesus' mind. Kind mm-hmm. of like a modified Lectio to be, you know. Yes, yes, yes. You know, like put yourself there at the scene and think about it. Like think about it from Jesus' perspective, what would have been going through his mind, and then think of yourself as a witness. Yes. Standing there watching it, yeah. you know, and what would go through your mind if you were the one watching it. And then even think about it from the Blessed Mother's perspective, yeah. too, because she was there the whole way. Yeah, yeah. And what was going through her mind, you know? Yeah. And then spend, like, five minutes on each station, so 14 stations times five, because that, like, uh, an hour and a half, mm, you know? Mm. You, can go through it, you can go through it a lot quicker than that, but I like to really take my time with it. Yeah. And it's a good point that you made being a witness, because I think all of us would identify with somebody who's at the at the Stations of the Cross. So we could be Simon, we could be Veronica, we could be the Daughters of Jerusalem, we could be any one of those characters, or even a, a grieving mother. Thief. Yeah, we could be the bad thief, too. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we could, Hopefully, we want to be the good thief, sometimes we could be the bad thief. Yeah, so it, it's good to reflect um, in that sense, and, and definitely reflecting uh, on... On Mary's role because I think at some point all of us go through grief and and uh, I think some people lose lose members of their family through you know a battery or the worst possible death that you could imagine I think Mary has seen it all so you can always identify with Mary no matter what what is happening you know in your life yeah, yeah I told you I identified her with, with her in a way that I never had before yeah yeah because and up until that point I had always seen Mary as more like women identify with her more mm, than men, you know. Mm, yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of, but I mean, there's a lot of like Saint Jose Maria Escriva. He yes. really identified with the Blessed Mother. Yes. And uh, there's actually a few priests I know whose middle, I don't know if their middle name or if it's like their confirmation, but they go by like with middle name Mary. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so then I got thinking about it. I was like, I guess it isn't that weird that I'm so identifying with her in this moment, <laughs> you know, because she's a mother, I'm a father, so yeah. that's not the same thing. But. I could see through her eyes mm. how painful that would be to watch your child die yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. for anyone to watch your child die know, would be a hard yeah. thing. But to watch your child be, you know, like parents that have kids that die in car accidents or die of cancer or yeah. all these different things, that would be difficult. Yeah. I don't want to ever know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. But to watch your child be slowly put to death yeah. over the course of several hours, yeah. you know, like the whole day, just yeah. uh, nonstop, that would be... I, I can't even imagine, yeah. you know, yeah. and where I, de- I identified with her the most was at that moment, thinking that, imagine the pain that she was going through, mm. the sword was piercing her heart, yeah. you know. And you mentioned indulgences, so can you tell uh, people, I actually, I know a lot of people won't even know what an indulgence is, so can you just give a brief right. uh, explanation of what an indulgence is and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a brief run through an indulgence, something that won't confuse anybody, and then right. what is the indulgence that you get from doing the Stations of the Cross? Okay, so uh, an indulgence, uh, basically... Because the church was given the power of the keys and the power to bind and loose, uh, we believe, as Catholics, I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible, that sins have both eternal and temporal consequences. So just like if you break a window as a child and you say you're sorry, your father forgives you, but you still have to make it up by repairing the window or paying for it out of your own pocket to repair the window. Mm -hmm. So... Just because you're forgiven, your father doesn't hold it against you. He's not going to, you know, kill you because of the window. But 
you do have to make up the difference, right? Yeah. So the temporal consequences of sin uh, makes us to where we're not, when we die, if we have unremitted temporal consequences of sin on our soul. So like sins, we've, we've had habitual sins, mm. sins, we've had problems with anger, and we've confessed them and we've been forgiven because of the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Mm. We're forgiven, so there's no eternal consequence to our sin. But Jesus said that if you don't make up with, you know, if you don't make up with your brother on your way to the court, that you'll be held by the, the court until you pay the last penny. Mm, yeah. You know, so it wasn't like the other parables he told where the guy owes like 500 talents or like some unbelievable amount that isn't payable, you know, like a 50 yeah. year salary. Yeah. He says the word that he used pays the last penny is literally, it's like a pay, it's like a day's wage, you know? Okay. So it's a payable amount. So it's something you can actually do. And then he says also that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this life mm. or in the age to come. So that says that there is forgiveness at some point. Somehow there's forgiveness in the age to come of certain things. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that every man builds up his works, some build in hay, straw, mm. you know, wood, gold, mm. all different things. And every man's works will be tested as though through fire. And the good man will survive, but his works will be burnt up if they're made out of straw as passing through fire. So you're going to be tested through fire and your works will be burned up. If they're good, they'll persist. If they're good works, if they're, you know, feeding the homeless and caring for the sick and hungry, mm. they'll continue on with you into heaven. But if they're bad works, not mortals, so and they're not deadly to the soul, because a mortal sin kills the life of God in your soul, okay. right? It separates you from God. A venial sin just damages it. So yeah. if it's unremitting venial sin or if it's temporal consequences of already forgiven sin, that's what purgatory is for. Purgatory means purgation. It means cleansing. Mm, mm. Because nothing unclean can enter heaven. You know, We talked about before how uh, C.S. Lewis said that if you were going to meet the king and you say, oh, let me get clean up first, and the attendant yeah. tells you, well, it might hurt. You say, yes, but all the better that I might be scrubbed before I see the king. You want to be clean and presentable. Yeah. Nothing impure can go to heaven. And I don't know about you, but I've known a lot of Christians that have died and they weren't, didn't have halos around their head mm. and angel wings when they died. You know, they were Christians, and they believed in Jesus, and a lot of them were Catholic, and they received last rites and all that. But if they have these unremitting consequences, mm. these temporal consequences, they need to be cleansed of this. Mm. And it's not a punishment. It's, a, it's actually a mercy from God to have this cleansing. Yeah. So that's what purgatory is. So an indulgence, to kind of make, to kind of wrap it all up, <laughs> an indulgence is where, because you've got to explain purgatory before you explain indulgence, right? Mm. Indulgence doesn't make sense. Uh, an indulgence is where the church, uh, because they have the power to bind and loose, for certain reasons, certain actions, certain things, you can gain an indulgence to where if it's a plenary indulgence, it completely wipes the slate clean. Mm. So you don't have any uh, consequences on your soul, any unremitting temporal consequences. Uh, or if it's a partial indulgence, it's partial, as the okay. implies. Yeah. And any indulgence you gain can be applied to you or to any person that's passed on, so that's in purgatory. Okay. You don't know if they're in purgatory or in heaven, just yeah. you pray for them anyway. But uh, it can't be, you can't gain an indulgence for another living human. It doesn't work that way. Mm. Okay. So that's one of the uh, the restrictions on uh, gaining an indulgence. Let me see here. So to gain, there's a, a few uh, requirements on the Stations of the Cross. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different indulgences you can gain in uh, there's actually an article uh, during Holy Week. There's like 20 indulgences that are possible to gain. Wow. You know, because there's all these different things to mm -hmm. do during Holy Week. Uh, 
So during doing the Stations of the Cross, there's actually a few conditions to gain the plenary indulgence. And it uh, has to be done before Stations of the Cross are legitimately erected. So you can't just do it in your house with the mm. indulgence. It has to be like at a church or somewhere where the church is set up, like an outdoor one or something. Uh, Fourteen stations are required, mm. although it is customary for the icons to represent pictures or images, 14 simple crosses will suffice. Okay. Uh, three, the common practice consists of 14 pious readings to which some vocal prayers are added. Okay. However, nothing more is required than a pious meditation on the passion and death of the Lord, which need not be a particular consideration of the individual mysteries. So you can just go around to each 14 stations mm. and just think of the death of our Lord, and it doesn't have to be particular to each one, you know? Mm. Uh, a movement from one station to the next is required, but if the stations are made publicly and it's not possible for everyone to move to the next station, it suffices at least that the one conducting the exercise goes from station to station, the others remain in their place. I've done this at, uh, like on Good Friday at my parish, it's packed mm. mm. stations of the cross, yeah. and so they'll have kind of a, a altar boy holding the crucifix, mm. and a couple of like, altar boys with candles, and like either the deacon or the priest or go with them to each station, but everyone just kind of sits stands at their pews and yeah. turn and follow yeah. from the pews. So as long as the person conducting goes from pew to goes from station to station. Okay. Uh, the last two are those impeded can gain the indulgence if they spend at least one. Those who are impeded, so they can't go to the house, can gain the same indulgence if they spend at least one half hour in pious reading and meditation on the passion of death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. So if someone's homebound and they can't get out, mm -hmm. As long as they spend 30 minutes meditating on the passion of Jesus, they can gain the same indulgence. Okay. And, uh, you know, then all the regular normal requirements for indulgence apply that you have to be in a state of grace. Mm. You have to have gone to And you have to do, the, do the, the action that the indulgence is talking about. And you have to pray for the intention of the Pope. Okay. So speaking so of the Pope, uh, I think Pope Francis has, I said this every length that we should be, you know, uh, participating in the Stations of the Cross. So what is his recommendation when it comes to this? I don't know. The, the, church, the church recommends that we do it during Lent. Yeah. Uh, my pastor actually asked everyone in the parish to come every Friday, but, <laughs> you know, that isn't going to happen. You can't get everyone to come to Mass on Sunday. I... A moral <laughs> sin, you know. But uh, a lot of people show up. I have to admit, I have not made it every Friday this, this Lent, so I am guilty. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, it's definitely a good practice. It's good to do, and you can even do it, like I said, all throughout the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lent is the traditional time to do the Saints of the Cross. In Jerusalem, if you ever make it to Jerusalem, mm -hmm. uh, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, every day at, I want to say it's 12 o'clock, the Franciscans do Stations of the Cross through the church. Wow. All through the church. And, uh, and it ends up at Calvary. Like, actually, it goes up to the place of the crucifixion and stuff. And then on Fridays, they do one from Antonio Fortress, so the actual stations, like, through the city. Because like, when you're walking down the Via Dolorosa in Jerusalem, you'll be walking, you'll see a Roman numeral on the wall, mm. and this is, like, where Jesus fell in mm. this place. So it's the actual, we practice at our churches, this is the actual spots, mm. you know? And every Friday, the Franciscans do the stations of the cross all the way across the city, and they carry this big wooden cross while they do it. So that's really... And that's year-round. They do that all year. Right. So what is your um, last takeaway for, um, or last words, advice for anybody who wants to do the Stations of the Cross this year? Uh, wear comfortable shoes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just go with spirit. You, you know, don't go 
don't go just because it's Friday and it's what Catholics do on Friday during, during mm. Lent. You know, yeah. we eat fish and we pray the station of the cross. You know, that's just what we do. Mm. <laughs> like, and then your kid asks, on Fridays, well, that's just the way we do, son. Mm. No, you, you're supposed to have a reason for, you know, you have a, a, a reason for the hope that's in you. Mm. First Peter. Yeah. So we're, we do the station of the cross because it's a meditation on the death of Christ. Yeah. You know, it, it, it go there with a prayerful mind, a prayerful mindset. And really put yourself in the scene. That's what I like to do. Mm. Put myself into the scene. Mm. And do that, and it really changes from just being this somewhat medieval-feeling practice of going around the church and standing and praying at each little pictures around them to actually a meditation on the death of Christ. And you're there with Christ watching you walk. And you're walking with him. You know, you're a companion. You're going with him. Because that's what a companion is, someone goes with. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, anything else? Because we covered quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. Today is my third uh, anniversary. I don't know what you call it, Catholic University. Wow! <laughs> congratulations. Yeah. yeah. I just know that it came up on my phone today. You know, sometimes your phone will remind you, like three years ago today. <laughs> you know, those pictures that I took uh, at my. Uh, confirmation or reception I guess you call mm-hmm. it no there should be an official word for that like what is it yeah <laughs> your what do they call it like here conf- the- confirmation anniversary I don't know yeah anyhow yeah it's been three years for me today so I feel very blessed to, very blessed to be home yeah I'm glad you are because you you're now part of all of this uh, ministries and it's 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 wonderful right. God is yeah, using I'm you doing, I'm doing things that's why I said uh, I was talking to my priest uh a parish priest last night at, uh, I told you, Father Leo Padalinga was in town, doing a parish Lent mission, mm-hmm. and I'm actually doing a, uh, a retreat, a men's retreat in a couple of weeks at my parish wow. for, uh, based on the Mass, you know, okay, and I'm good. not a public speaker, I've only ever done it once or twice, and uh, I feel like I'm going to die every time I'm doing it. You're but, already a public like, speaker, you ho- you're you on the podcast. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, I know, but I mean like a live audience makes yeah, a difference. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, my father, Robert, looked at me and said, oh, so you're doing the retreat in a couple of weeks, right? Uh, I said, yeah, it's in a couple of weeks. He said, wow, you really, you know, because I told him before that I'm not a public speaker. I said, well, I felt like I was kind of being pushed in this direction. And mm. I seen what happened when Jonah resisted, so I figured I'd skip the whole whale part and just go for it. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> if I say no enough, I'm going to send, I don't know where a whale would come in uh, Arizona. Yeah. But you don't want to be I, in in that position, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'll just go. I'll just say yes. It's kind of short circuit the whole process. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, you know, I'm happy to be home. People say welcome home when you become Catholic. Yeah. And it used to feel weird when I, people would say it to me before I was like while I was an RCIA, people would say welcome home. I'd hear people say it like on like uh, the radio and stuff. Like a convert would call up to mm. the Catholic Answers Live, and they'd say, "Well, I always thought it sounded weird," you know. <laughs> but then. When I became Catholic, and that night at Easter Vigil, mm. three years ago tonight, mm. I remember people saying to me, welcome home, as I was walking out of the church, and it felt like I was home. Yeah. You know, it felt like your mother saying, welcome home, when you come yeah. home from home after, <laughs> you know, when you were a kid and you come home. Yeah. After going out, you know, and you're, welcome home, son. And it just, it felt like I was home. So, welcome home, and hope you have a, a, a big celebration of this today. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and all the best with your retreat. Thank you. Which which days it is? We will intercede for you during April, that time. April 6th.